0: Y'all probably haven't realized this, but sometimes life can be a struggle. I don't know if has anybody realized that, that there can be, uh, there can be struggles in life. And uh, well, thank God through Christ Jesus we have the victory. But there are struggles that we encounter. You know, Dr. Cole always thought, and you've heard me say this many times, but he says that life consists of entering and leaving crisis, and what determines whether your life is successful or not is not whether or not you enter and leave crisis because you will, but how you enter and leave crisis. And uh, you know, crisis is really a strong word. But I think the same thing is true of our struggles that we encounter in life. We go through these struggles. We go through these difficulties. And, and it's, you know, I know when I was first saved and first got a hold of the Word of Faith message, I thought walking by faith meant that I'd never have any struggles anymore. But then I realized that What faith is, faith gives us the tools to deal with any struggle that we might encounter in life. Heard Gloria Copeland say this one time. She said, you know, the difference between me and many of you is that when I fall down, I get up again. You know, one of the keys to success is getting up. We talk a lot about standing we need to stand. But there's also this this element of getting up, because there's times where we fall, there's times when we go down, but we need to get up again. I know there's a few of you that really don't want to hear a whole lot about Minnesota. (laughs) But, uh, you know, Minnesota has a new football coach this year, P.J. Fleck, and uh, when he came to Minnesota, he brought in a a new motto or a war cry, whatever you want to call it, and it's roll the boat. And uh, some people think it's uh, a money maker because they've sold a lot of t-shirts with oars and roll the boat on it, But, but you look at it and you think, what does that have to do with The Minnesota Gopher football team. Well, Minnesota does have 10,000 lakes, so maybe that has something to do with it. But it comes from an event, a crisis that he dealt with in his own personal life. He had a son that was born that lived just a few hours, Colt was his name, and he had some heart conditions had a heart condition. And so he didn't make it, he he died. And Fleck says when, when that happened, he says, you know, really what I wanted to do is I wanted to just crawl in a hole and quit. But he says, as I'm thinking about this and I'm looking at this, I realized that there was a choice before me. I could just simply lay down and let life pass me by or I could get up, get in the boat, and start rowing. That's where that whole analogy of rowing the boat came from. It was a means by which to help him cross over and deal with it. In fact, I think that's why um, he was so touched. I don't know if you noticed it a couple weeks ago when Minnesota was at Iowa, that at the end of the first quarter, Fleck and his whole team and all the staff went out to the edge of the field and waved at the kids. Now, I think it has to do with the loss of his own son. And he made this statement. He said, that's the best tradition in all of college football. See, there's something good about Iowa football. (laughs) Hallelujah. See, I can say good things. But the thing is, is throughout the Scripture, we have a lot of different examples of individuals. You know, the Old Testament has given to us examples that we can look to. We don't necessarily always apply the principles that we see in the Old Testament. But when we look at the lives of individuals, there's so much that we can grow from that, so much that we can glean from. And so I want to look at some of those examples this morning, the first one I want us to look at is Joseph. You know, Joseph, we oftentimes see people at the end, but we don't see how they get there. That's what I think about Fleck, we see where he's at now, but how how do you get to where you are in life? Every one of us, our lives are probably more defined by our struggles, and by our successes, our easy successes. Hopefully our struggles always end in success. But you know, it's, it's the struggles that we go through that really define us. They really determine how, how successful we're gonna be because one of the things that, that our struggles do is, is they help establish our foundation, what we're able to build upon. Now, we don't stay there. But it's those struggles that we, we grow from, we, we mature from, that we build upon that gives us success in life. And Joseph is, is such an example for us to look to. He had 10 older brothers that despised him. They hated him. He had 10 older brothers that took him, sold him into slavery and told his dad that an animal had killed him. Well, that'll do a lot for your self-image. But that's what his brothers did, sold him into slavery. And so he gets sold into slavery and Potiphar buys him, brings him into his household. And there's enough right there for somebody to give up. But he continued to labor, he continued to work to where he became, he was over everything in Potiphar's household. He is in charge of everything. It says that nothing was done unless it was run past Joseph. And Joseph is this young guy. And one day, Potiphar's wife decides that he wants Joseph to lay with her. And he runs. And this is what he says in Genesis 39.9. It shows us, uh, the reason that this verse is so important is that it, it demonstrates to us, it shows us his character. And he says in Genesis 39.9, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know, his whole life was turned upside down again because this woman wanted him to lay with him and he refused to. He, he didn't look, just look at it as I, I, I just can't do this. He says, I can't do this against God. How can I sin against God? And the thing about it is, is it could have been so easy for him to be angry with God. To say, you know, God, where were you when I was in the midst of my struggle, when I was in the midst of crisis? Where were you? But he didn't look at that. He he didn't blame God. He kept this attitude. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so as a result of it, I mean, I know you're all familiar with the story, but I just want to tell it anyway. He's thrown into prison because she lied and said that this servant that he brought into the house tried to rape her. So he's thrown into prison, and here he is in prison, having had done absolutely nothing wrong. And once again, because of his faithfulness and his attitude, he begins to rise up. And it says that all of the other prisoners are under his charge. He's in charge of everything. And again, you've heard the story of how there were two of the prisoners that had, they each had a dream. One had been the baker for the king, the other one had been the cupbearer. He interpreted the dreams, and uh, the dreams come true. They're being taken out of the prison, of course. (laughs) One in a better way than the other because the baker got his head chopped off and the other one got put back in his his position. But but Joseph said, you know, just don't forget about me. Do you know what happened? They forgot about him. And so here they are in the prison, and one day Pharaoh has this dream, this vision. And they bring in Joseph because the cupbearer finally remembers that Joseph interpreted this dream. So he brings him in and he interprets the dream. And make a long story short, he's put in charge of all of Egypt. Strongest nation in the world because there's this famine coming. He's put in charge of everything. So he goes from being a shepherd boy to being a servant, to being a prisoner, to second in charge of the entire nation. And the thing about it is, is, it all began because his 10 older brothers despised him, hated him. So now there's the famine in the land. Nobody gets any wheat or anything unless Joseph gives a stamp of approval. And his brothers come down from Canaan to to Egypt to get food because they're starving. Joseph recognized them. And of course it took two trips, but what did he do? He forgave them. And as a result of Joseph, the entire family comes down there, and they're saved from the family. In fact, they become very prosperous until Pharaoh dies, and we know that whole story. But the thing about Joseph is, he didn't quit. Because he didn't quit, he was able to forgive. But I don't know, for many of us, would be an absolute impossibility, we would think, to forgive what his brothers had done to him, but he did that, he forgave them. We have another example in the Bible, it's in the book of Ruth, and it's about this young woman. Ruth is what the the entire book is really about. But it's about she and her her mother-in-law Naomi. Naomi had moved from Bethlehem with her husband and two sons to Moab. Uh, and again, it's interesting how famines are always involved here, because of a famine in the land. And so they get down there and Ruth, or Naomi, uh, loses her husband. He dies. Both of her sons, marry and Ten years, after, 10 years after her husband had died, both of her sons died. And so here she is, Naomi, in Moab, a foreign country with no family or anything. And she makes a decision. She decides that she's going to go back to Bethlehem. And so she calls her two daughter-in-laws together and she says to them, you know, you, you go back to your families in, in Moab and I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. And the one daughter-in-law, she says, okay, and she goes back to her father. But Ruth refused to leave her mother-in-law. In fact, she clung to her, and this is what she said as she is clinging to him, and it's in the book of Ruth, the first chapter in the 16th and 17th verse, and it says, Entreat me not to leave you, or turn back from following after you, For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you from me. And so Ruth goes with Naomi, and they move back to. Bethlehem. And they get back to Bethlehem and they really don't have any means of support. They don't have any way to live. They have a place to live, but they don't have anything to live on. And so Ruth goes out into the fields and she begins to glean after the harvesters, that which is left behind. And she begins to pick it up and it can't be an easy job. I'm sure there were times she was thinking, why didn't I just go back to daddy? Daddy would have taken care of me. But she didn't. She stayed and she gleaned. And once again, to make a long story short, because of her faithfulness to to Naomi, Ruth was noticed by a guy by the name of Boaz. And Boaz was a landowner and she began to glean in the fields that he had and he noticed her told him to leave extra wheat for her so that it was easier. And, and eventually what happened was he decided that he would marry her, but there was a, another cousin that had a priority over him. In other words, you could, because she didn't have a husband, he would take her as his bride. Well, the other didn't want her, and the land, so Boaz bought it. And, took her and married her, and she had a child, and it talks about how Ruth then lived with them, her mother-in-law, lived with her, with them, and took care of the children. So here's another story about a young woman named Ruth who wouldn't quit, who wouldn't quit, who, when she had done all to stand, she continued to stand. We like to use that terminology. But well, that's what she did. You know, it reminds me of another story. Doesn't, it's not so, uh, found in the Bible. It's not about a Ruth. It's about a Rebecca. You know, you go back a few years ago, and there was this young couple. They were young and probably pretty stupid. But they got married. You know, it was a different time. You know, the Cold War was at its peak, and the Vietnam War was at the level where, you know, the news reports were all about the casualties. It's all you saw on the news. And this young guy just reached the age of the draft age, and so graduating from high school is a pretty sure thing he is gonna be drafted shipped off to Vietnam. And so, you know, they were in love. You understand what I'm saying? They're in love. They're in love. And so they got married. And the thing about it is, in in youth, oftentimes, you don't have the, the tools to really make things work. And so... Things weren't going so well, and so the marriage began to go south, if you know what I mean. This young woman wasn't happy. And she, she looked at the decisions that were before her, to leave or to stay. And she, she made a decision not based on selfishness but how is it gonna affect others? And she thought, I can't do this to my parents.
1: I just about made it.
0: Can't do it to his parents. I can't do this to my kids. And so she made a decision that she was gonna stay in this marriage. And so this young woman from Truman, living in Truman, Minnesota, away from her family and everything, decided to stay in the marriage. Well, most of you have been able to figure that out. That couple just celebrated 50 years. You know, we heard so many nice greetings and congratulations, and we appreciate them all. But you know what? It all boiled down to one thing, a young woman in Truman, Minnesota making a decision. Do you know what the majority of our life is dependent upon? Us making a decision. And oftentimes, it isn't a matter of just standing. Oftentimes, it's a matter of getting up. Because the interesting thing is, is you can't stand until you're standing. And that's why the little quote from Gloria Copeland was so important. She said, the difference between me and the majority of you is that when I fall down, I get up again. Every one of us, we fall down from time to time. The key is, we don't stay down. We get up. And we move on. And you know, that one little decision that we make, we don't have any idea of how great the impact can be. Not just simply on our life, but in the, li- in the lives of others. We have another example in the Bible. We have the example of David. You know, David, King David, began as a shepherd boy. It's a, Little old shepherd boy. Oftentimes we look at ourselves and we think, what can God do with me? (laughs) I was there. We've all been there. He is a shepherd boy taking care of sheep. That's what shepherd boys do, take care of sheep. One day the prophet comes to the house and he says to his dad, I want to see your your boys because one of them is going to be anointed king. You know what the interesting thing is? He didn't even have David come in from the fields. He passed all of his other sons in front of him. And the prophet says, no, he's not the not one. No, he's not the one. He goes through all of his sons and he says, is, is this all there is? And they well, there's David. Well, bring him in here. They brought him in and he was anointed king. David was the one that was sent to his older brothers to see how the battle was going when they were fighting the Philistines. He shows up on the battlefield and Goliath is mocking the armies of Israel and David says, why didn't somebody do something about that? And his older brother says, what are you doing here? Who's taking care of those few sheep that you're in charge of? It wasn't just your sheep, those few sheep that you have to take care of. David was the one that saw who David was totally loyal to him. First of all, he came and he played his harp for him when that evil spirit would come upon him. And then later on, he fought battles for him. That's why the the, the, the women were singing when they came in, Saul's killed his thousands, and David, his tens of thousands, and made Saul jealous. But David was completely faithful to Saul. But what Saul wanna do? He wanted to kill him. And David had opportunity after opportunity to take Saul's life, but he would not do it because he says, who am I to touch God's anointed? Because he knew that God had anointed Saul. And he wasn't about to touch God's anointed, even if it meant his own life. Later on, after he became king, his own son Absalom tried to take his place, tried to steal the kingdom from him. So David had a few struggles. But you know what, David became the greatest king that Israel had ever known. But in all of it, he had to stand. And if you read through the account of David, you find out there were many times he was down. He was down, he had to get up. At one time he acted as a crazy so that they wouldn't take him. He was down, but he got up and he stood. And he took his position. You know, the book of Esther, women, aren't you thankful for Christianity? For the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because our God is not ashamed of womanhood. Seems to be a few women that are ashamed of it, but God's not ashamed of it puts us all on an equal plane. And he proves it by actually entitling two of his books after women. And so we have the book of Esther. Now, Esther didn't have a great beginning. Esther was, she was an orphan. Her uncle, Mordecai, raised her up. And she went from being this poor little orphan to where she became queen. And while she was queen, there was, a, there was an attack that was made upon the Jewish people because she was a Jew, that they would all be destroyed. And Mordecai spoke to her and said, you need to go address this with the king. Now, the thing is, even though she was the queen, she didn't have a right to come into the presence of the king unless she was acknowledged. And this is what Mordecai said to her in Esther 4, 14. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows whether you came into the kingdom for such a time as this. And so Esther made a decision. Might cost her a position. Could cost her even more than that. It could cost her her life. But she went to the king, and the king welcomed her in, and she, she shared the account. You know, shared what was going on, and I mean, it was a whole long ordeal. Anyway, the destroyer was destroyed and she remained queen. And the children of Israel, the Jews, were saved. Think about this again. They were saved because of a young woman that was willing to stand. The lineage of the children of Israel were saved because of a young man, Joseph, because he is willing to stand. Naomi was saved because of a young woman, Ruth, that was willing to stand. David was willing to stand. And he became the greatest king, the powerful, as powerful as any that of Israel. And then here we have the account of Esther and how they were saved. In Romans... The 8th chapter, the 37th verse. And Paul here is talking about all the stuff that's come against him, and we've had stuff come against us. And he says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded Are you persuaded? We need to be persuaded of this. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. But you know what? It appears that there is something that can separate us. It's us. When we're unwilling to stand. We're unwilling, we're unwilling to believe what God has said about us. We're going to do that video now. And so. I've got this video, some of you have probably seen it because I put it online because I loved it so much. But I believe it applies to what we're talking about here. It's talking about a man who didn't allow his his past to define him, didn't allow struggles to stop him. Anyway, I believe it'll be an encouragement to you. It's it's, It's not short, it's about 10 minutes long and I thought about cutting it but it's so good, I want you to hear it.
1: The wisest person I ever met in my life, a third grade dropouts. Wisest and dropout in the same sentence is rather oxymoronic. Like jumbo shrimp. Mm-hmm. Like fun run, ain't nothing fun about it. Like Microsoft works, y'all don't hear me. I used to say like country music, but I've lived in Texas so long. I, I love country music now. I, back, yeah. I hunt. I fish. I have cowboy boots and cowboy. Y'all, I'm a blackneck redneck. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? No longer oxymoronic for me to say country music, and it's not oxymoronic for me to say third grade and dropout. That third grade dropout, the wisest person I ever met in my life, who taught me to combine knowledge and wisdom to make an impact was my father. A simple cook, wisest man i ever met in my life. Just a simple cook, left school in the third grade to help out on the family farm, but just because he left school doesn't mean it just education stopped. Mark Twain once said, I've never allowed my schooling to get in the way of my education. My father taught himself how to read, taught himself how to write, decided in the midst of Jim Crowism as America was breathing the last gas for the Civil War, my father decided he was going to stand and be a man. Not a black man, not a brown man, not a white man, but a man. He literally challenged himself to be the best that he could all the days of his life. I have four degrees. My brother is a judge. We're not the smartest ones in our family. It's a third grade dropout daddy. A third grade dropout daddy who was quoting Michelangelo, saying to us, boys, I won't have a problem if you aim high and miss, but I'm gonna have a real issue if you aim low and hit. A country mother quoting Henry Ford, saying if you think you can or if you think you can't. You're right. I learned that from a third grade drop, simple lessons. Lessons like these, son, you'd rather be an hour early a minute late. We never knew what time it was at my house because the clocks were always ahead. My mother said for nearly 30 years my father left the house at 3.45 in the morning. One day she asked him, why daddy? He said, maybe one of my boys will catch me in the act of excellence. I wanna share two things with you. Aristotle said, you are what you repeatedly do. Therefore excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Don't ever forget that. I know you're tough, but always remember to be kind. Always, don't ever forget that never embarrass mama Mm-hmm. yeah if mama ain't happy ain't nobody happy if daddy ain't happy don't nobody care but you know i tell you next lesson lesson from a cook over there in the galley son make sure your servant's towel is bigger than your ego ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity Y'all might have a relative in mind you want to send that to. Let me say it again. (laughs) Ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. Pride is the burden of a foolish person. John Wooden coached basketball at UCLA for a living, but his calling was to impact people. And with all those national championships, guess what he was found doing in the middle of the week? Going into the cupboard, grabbing a broom, and sweeping his own gym floor. You want to make an impact? Find your broom. Every day of your life, you find your groom. You grow your influence that way. That way you're attracting people so that you can impact them. Final lesson, son, you're gonna do a job, do it right. I've always been told how average I can be. Always been criticized about being average. But I wanna tell you something. I stand here before you, before all of these people, not listening to those words, but telling myself every single day to shoot for the stars, to be the best that I can be. Good enough isn't good enough if it can be better, and better isn't good enough if it can be best. Let me close with a very personal story that I think will bring all this into focus. Wisdom will come to you in the unlikeliest of sources, a lot of times through failure. When you hit rock bottom, remember this, while you're struggling, rock bottom can also be a great foundation on which to build and on which to grow. I'm not worried that you'll be successful. I'm worried that you won't fail from time to time. Person that gets up off the canvas and keeps growing, that's the person that will continue to grow their influence. Back in the 70s, to help me make this point, let me introduce you to someone. I met the finest woman I'd ever met in my life. Mm Mm-hmm. Back in my day, we would've called her a brick house. This woman was the finest woman I'd ever seen in my life. There's just one little problem. Back then, ladies didn't like big old linemen. The blind side hadn't come out yet. (laughs) <laughs> they, they like quarterbacks and running backs. We're at this dance, and I find out her name is Trina Williams from Lompoc, California. And, and we were all dancing, and we're, we're just, just excited. And I decide in the middle of dancing with her that I would ask her for her phone number. She, Trina was the first one. Trina was the only woman in college who gave me her real telephone number. <laughs> the next day, we walked to Basket and Robbins' ice cream parlor. My friends couldn't believe it. This has been 40 years ago, and my friends still can't believe it. We go on a second date, and a third date, and a fourth date. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. We drive from Chico to Vallejo so that she could meet my parents. My father meets her. My daddy, my hero, he meets her, pulls me to the side and says, is she psycho? But anyway. We go together for a year, two years, three years, four years. By now, Trina's a senior in college. I'm still a freshman, but I'm working some things out. I'm so glad I graduated in four terms. Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan. So now it's, it's, it's time to propose. So I talked to her girlfriends, and it's California, it's in the 70s, so it has to be outside. Have to have a candle, and you have to have you know, some chocolate. Listen, I'm from the hood. I had a bottle of Boone's Farm wine. That's what I had. <laughs> she said yes. That was the key. I married the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in my life. Y'all ever been to a wedding? And even before the wedding starts, you hear this. How in the world? AND IT WAS COMING FROM MY SIDE OF THE FAMILY! (laughs) WE GET MARRIED, WE HAVE A FEW CHILDREN, OUR LIVES ARE GREAT. ONE DAY, TRINA FINDS A LUMP IN HER LEFT BREAST. BREAST CANCER. SIX YEARS AFTER THAT DIAGNOSIS, ME AND MY TWO LITTLE BOYS WALKED UP TO MOMMY'S CASKET. AND FOR TWO YEARS, MY HEART DIDN'T BEAT. If it wasn't for my faith in God, I I wouldn't be standing here today. If it wasn't for those two little boys, there would have been no reason for which to go on. I was completely lost. That was rock bottom. You know what sustained me? The wisdom of a third grade dropout. The wisdom of a simple cook. We're at the casket. i would never seen my dad cry. But this time I saw my dad cry, that was his daughter, Trina was his daughter, not his daughter-in-law. And I'm right behind my father about to see her for the last time on this earth. And my father shared three words with me that changed my life right there at the casket. It would be the last lesson he would ever teach me. He said, son, just stand. You keep standing. You keep standing, no matter how rough the sea, you keep standing, and I'm not talking about just water. You keep standing no matter what, you don't give up. And as clearly as I'm talking to you today, these were some of her last words to me. She looked me in the eye and she said, it doesn't matter to me any longer how long I live. What matters to me most is how I live. I asked y'all one question, a question that I was asked all my life by a third grade dropout. How you living? How you living? Every day ask yourself that question, how you live living? Here's, here's what a cook would suggest you to live this way, that you would not judge, that you would show up early, that you'd be kind, that you'd make sure that that servant's town is huge and used, that if you're gonna do something, you do it the right way. That That, that cook would tell you this, that it's never wrong to do the right thing, that how you do anything, is how you do everything. And in that way, you will grow your influence to make an impact. In that way, you will honor all those who have gone before you, who have invested in you. Look in those unlikeliest places for wisdom. Enhance your life every day by seeking that wisdom and asking yourself every night, how am I living? May God richly bless y'all. Thank you for having me.
0: think I'd have a problem. I watched that about 20 times already. But this is the point. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, the 13th verse. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. And I guess this is the point is we may have to get up in order to stand. But get up and stand. You may feel like there's certain things in your life that have been too difficult. Get up, stand, stand therefore. And we stand therefore until we see the desired end. We're gonna, we're gonna stand to the end. And you know, I love the last statement that he made, the quote from his wife. It's not about how long I live, but how I lived. And you know, I've put it this way, undetermined to do one thing to live till I die. And I think the direction that he gave us on that video is wisdom that we can apply, that we can use, that we can move forward and accomplish everything that God's got for us. Because he's got a bunch for each and every one of us. Amen. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives within each and every one of us. Father, I thank you that in all things, not most things, not some things, but in all things, we are more than conquerors through the completed works of Jesus. So Father, as we make that decision today because it begins with the decision. Just as the prodigal son, it began with the decision. He decided to get out of the pig pen. He decided to go back to his father. We need to decide. And today, Father, we make decisions that are not only going to affect our own personal lives, but it's gonna affect the lives of those that are dear to us, those around us. So Father, we get up and we make the decision that when we've done all to stand, we're gonna stand, therefore. We're gonna stand, therefore, and see the accomplished, the desired end that you have for each and every one of us. And Father, we won't need, we won't deserve the credit because it'll all belong to you. Because it's in you that we put our trust and our confidence. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. And anybody that agrees with that says, Amen. We're going, before we close, I want to pray for Bill, um, like the elders to come up and join us. He's just been having some Physical problems and uh, just in faith, they just have to flee. So, Father, we thank you for Bill. We thank you, Father, that by the stripes of Jesus, he has been healed. We thank you, Father, that. No weapon that the enemy has formed against him shall prosper, for the greater one lives within him. And so, Father, right now we just speak to his physical body, we speak to his digestive system, we speak to his entire uh, body, and we say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, be whole. Be whole, be whole. In Jesus' name, we release healing, to flow through his body from the very top of his head to the very soles of his feet. And Father, we declare that he has the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. And we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for him. We thank you for that healing power that flows through his body. Behold. 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 In Jesus' name, function the way you were created to function. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. Praise the Lord. So as you go, go in His peace, go in His strength, go in His might. Walk in His joy in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them.